got to say, actually, I'm really excited to talk to you all here this morning and share what the gospel has to say about the church. Now, this is actually a rather pleasant change. Most sermons that I've done before have been a bit of a nervous wreck. You know, I have arms shaking all over the place, legs as if they were jelly on the trampoline. I'm surprised I'm not falling over, in all honesty. And I would also, you know, I'd be producing a chest so much sweat, so much perspiration because I'm so nervous, and that would just be off my eyebrows. <laughs> Nixon said he had lots of perspiration on his uh, chest above his lip. Well, trust me, he didn't know that whatsoever, how I felt it. But today, I feel calm. Assured, I'm around friends, family, people whom I love and cherish. Home. But, like my current tenancy with Charles and Jenny, I know it isn't just my home. It's ours. It's the Lord's home. A place where we can sit back, relax, and enjoy people's company. Most of us here know that church is about the people, not about the building. It's not about the flowers or the pews or the chairs that we have here or the stained glass windows or, if I might have a dig at the All Saints, it's not actually about the bell tower either. (laughs) It's about the people that endeavour to bring about these things. The architect that designed this building, the builders that built it, the wonderful people that go out of their way each week to maintain and grow these flowers. And they do a wonderful job as well. I know not many young people appreciate flowers, but, yeah, I do quite a lot. And then it's the people that come here every Sunday. It's you people that come here to worship Jesus. This is what makes a church. This is the church. It is a common mistake for the faithless to identify the church as brick and mortar. I want us to correct this error. There are different Christian buildings all over the country that do not commune in a church-style building such as this one. If you look at the King's Church in Burgess Hill, they operate from it's a warehouse, isn't it, or block of offices. There's a church in Sheffield that is breaking all the traditional ideas of church and is actually running inside a skate park. You have young people that will go in, they will go on their skateboards, presumably not falling over, as I would usually do. And then they would also hear what the gospel is saying to them as well. They'll have someone who would talk to them afterwards. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Surely not, if it addresses the points that I'm about to make. I'm going to make this a little bit higher. That'll do. Let's have a look at Acts 2. Now, to the untrained eye, it would be a passage that explains the beginning of the church in the first century. However, to you and me, we're going to see how it is relevant today, 2,000 years on. Now, before we start, we're going to split the passage up into two sections. The first being the inward growing church. 
And the second, called the Outward Going Church. Our first point in the Inward Going Church starts at Acts 2.42, in which the disciples devoted themselves to teaching one another. Not the type of teaching you see in schools, though. I do fancy Paul to be quite a good lecturer. But through sharing stories and scriptural messages. I can just see one example. I say, Bartholomew, did you hear that Jesus the other week walked on water and on a full stomach as well? Ah, yes, indeed, Simon. But I must ask, whose stomach was it? The disciples would have shared the adventures they had with Jesus. The feeding of the 5,000 or the Last Supper probably would have been their favourites. They would have been very keen to share these experiences as the New Testament would not have been published yet. The new converts attended diligently, taking in what the leaders were saying so that they could spread the gospel to their communities. They weren't rolling out of bed five minutes before worship. Of course, Jesus said, Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Which brings me nicely onto my next point, fellowship. Most weeks I'll be sitting just over there and I can say with confidence that the Harfield family will be sitting in front of me. Gina will be nearby and sometimes Peter McCleary. The McCleary's are usually somewhere over there. I know that Charles and Jenny will be there. Well, you've moved now. That's not fair. (laughs) The one time. One time. And it's... It's rather nice being in each other's company, and it's, it's in, it's wonder, it makes me wonder, do we actually know each other overly well? Now, at, the, at this point, admittedly, I really wanted us all to go find someone who we either haven't spoken to before, or someone who we hadn't seen in a long time, to catch up, bring the idea of fellowship together, but in a practical way. But I think we decided in the end that it just wouldn't be best for all of us. So, some, I've, I'm a big fan of Lord of the Rings, and what Bilbo Baggins said at his, uh, at his birthday actually really resonates with me. I would love to remember it, but I actually can't, so I'm going to quote it. I don't know half of you half as well as I should like, and I like less than half of you half as well as you deserve. And sometimes I get that feeling that perhaps we just don't know each other as well as we would like. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, are we not? We know so much about our own actual blood family. I just want you to ask yourself, is that actually the same with your spiritual family. Do you know everything about them? Are you willing to tell everyone about yourself? Let's quickly look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So, so far we have had teaching and fellowship, and now we're going on to communion. Now, the first thing I want you all to notice is it doesn't actually say communion in your Bibles, does it? Or Eucharist, or the Lord's Supper, but rather the breaking of bread. Well, 
What's the difference? It's all the same, isn't it? Potato, potato, tomato, tomato. Most times they aren't any different. However, in this part of the scripture, it infers something that's a little bit different. Back when the apostles were around, it was commonplace for the richer people to give food to those who were in need. The apostles were no doubt needy. Verse 45 explains how they gave away their possessions for those who were in dire need. Then once they had received this food, they had a special type of meal, which was called an agape. Now, this shouldn't be confused with an agape love, this all-encompassing love. In this case, it was actually a meal where they shared all the food that they had as an act of love and fellowship. After the meal, they would have what we consider communion, where bread and red wine was passed around the table. Of course, in those days, they didn't have communion wine, nor would they have needed an alcohol license. Later on, we're going to be having communion at this table. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table, but I doubt I need to remind you, as said every single time. We've done teaching and fellowship, along with the breaking of bread, so that leaves us prayer. I'm an advocate of the Good News Bible, but for the point which I'm about to make, they've actually left out one detail. I'm going to put it on the PowerPoint slide for you now. This is from the English Standard Version. If you notice, it says, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, for some reason, the good news changes the wording from the prayer from prayer to the prayers. Now, previously, the Jews used psalms as part of their prayers, but for now, well, now, the Christians use totally different forms of prayer. Communal prayers, prayers for each other, prayers of thanksgiving. The list is endless. What, I'm going to move now on to verse 47 for our last point of the inward growing church. It says, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. Now, if that doesn't say worship, well, I don't know what is. Worship would have been a daily commitment for the apostles, as it is here when we come here every Sunday. We come here and we worship together. However, do we go as far as to giving praise to God in every single day of our lives? Do we give him the praise that he deserves? Now, unfortunately, we can't have a miniature worship band walk around with us every day. But God still expects us to glorify him. Do we? So to recap quickly, we have had teaching, fellowship, communion, prayer, and worship, which covers the inward-growing church section. Now, let's move onwards to the outward-looking church. We're going to move to chapter 3 now, which begins our outward-looking church section, which explains how Peter and John healed a lame man. Not the first time this has happened, as Jesus already pulled that particular rabbit out of the hat, but hey, if it's already been done, you know it can't go wrong. So, Peter and John are going up to the uh, temple to pray, and what do you know? A lame man. 
is sitting there. He's asking for money. Now, the easy option would be to give him, mon- give him money and just hope he spends it wisely. But disciples, well, they fancied a challenge. They recently had the Holy Spirit poured on them, as it says at the beginning of chapter 2. So it was a good time to flex those spiritual muscles. Now, if you notice, the disciples, when they healed this man, they didn't heal him like some sort of wacky evangelist with funny hand movements and a voice so commanding that could scare Simon Cow. They simply said, in the name of Jesus Christ, walk. They helped him up and he stood. His strength came back in his legs and he managed to start walking again. It later goes on. It says he was jumping. That is what the Spirit can do. If we can call it, if we can believe in it. No unnecessary drama, no hysterics, just faith in the Spirit. Now the first point we can find is how aware Peter and John were of their surroundings. What originally was a walk up to the temple to pray turned into a personal encounter with this lame man. Peter and John kept their head up on the way to the temple. They wanted to see what was going on where they lived, scouting for opportunities to be an active ambassador for Christ. Are we doing the same? Are we, as the body of Christ, doing this? Now, anyone here support Queen's Park Rangers? It's all right. Don't shed a tear for me. I thought so. Um, not many people support them. Um, to be honest, it's uh, if you do end up supporting them, it's a lifetime of misery. They recently went back to the championship, which is the second tier in English football, because well, they were just being so. They were living a real Christian lifestyle. They just kept giving and giving and giving. You know, it's nice to give other clubs a sporting chance, but perhaps QPR just took to the idea of sportsmanship a little too keenly. Now, sometimes you have to be careful what you give people. You wouldn't give a recovering alcoholic a large bottle of whiskey, or perhaps you wouldn't give a young child a water pistol. Sometimes you have to look at other ways that may help achieve what you wanted to do. If you want to celebrate with the alcoholic, say he's gone three months without drinking, take them out for a meal. Take them to a football game, just not QPR. If you need the child to behave, give them something to read. When John and Peter were at the temple, they saw an opportunity to help the beggar, but not with money, but with the power of Christ. It might take a bit of common sense, but other times, like this case with the lame man, the Holy Spirit will intercede and guide us. The question is, are we willing for the Holy Spirit to guide us? 
think we're running out of time, so I'm going to fast track to the final point quickly. I'm sure you've had enough of me by now anyway. <laughs> Verses 243 and 47 show us why we as a church should be doing all of these things. The breaking of bread, the worship, going out into the community, all the points that I've made this morning all culminate. They come together to make this point. Now, they say everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Without these building blocks in place, we're not going to be able to achieve this. Now, fortunately, we've got a wonderful worship band. We do excellent sermons. Well, except when I do them, anyway. We do all of this together. We make the church magnificently. A lot of you come come here every Sunday morning and you, you you take part in the worship. And perhaps that's all you think you do to help the church, but you do so much more than that. You are helping the body of Christ. You are bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. And that is something quite amazing. Now just imagine if we could do more. What if we managed to find more time to make the church grow? Are we ready to do big things for Jesus? I'll finish with a quote from Vanessa Herrick and Ivan Mann who have paraphrased Philippians 2 in a way that could be seen as practical theology. Be like Christ Jesus in your attitudes to one another in the community and live out those lives appropriately, even if that means loss of status, becoming low, becoming a slave, and even if that means losing your life for the sake of another. I'm willing to do that. The question is, are you? Amen.